Welcome back, welcome back to Cut the Bullshit today. We are going to cut the shit on Richard, the Iceman himself, Kuklinski. Been want to do it for a while on this guy. Pretty fuck guy. Uh, he's a pretty interesting guy, I'll say the least. He, he is a serial killer, mafia. He even said he knows about the Jimmy Hoffa. He was involved in the Jimmy Hoffa, so maybe, maybe not. We find out if he knows anything on the whereabouts of Jimmy Hoffa. And to get it started that way. Richard the Iceman Kuklinski. He was born April 11th, 1935, died March 5th, 2006. So, I mean, he died. 2006 to me don't seem that long ago, even though it's over a decade and some change. Uh, so, I mean, fairly new kind of guy. Um, but in 1988, he was sentenced to life imprisonment after being convicted of killing two members of his burglary gang and two other associates. In 2003, he received an additional 30-year sentence after confessing to the murder of a mob-connected police officer. He was given the nickname the Iceman by authorities after they discovered that he had frozen the body of one of the victims in an attempt to disguise the time of death among his associates. Kuklinski was also known as a one-man army or the devil himself. Um, Kuklinski was engaged in criminal activities for most of his adult life. He bought and sold stolen goods, ran a burglary and car theft ring, and was also linked to narcotics dealing, pornography, arms dealing, and money laundering. Prosecutors described him as someone who killed for profit. Eventually, he came to attention of law enforcement with, after investigation into a burglary gang linked him to several murders. An 18th-month-long undercover operation led to his arrest in, in December 1986. Kuklinski lived with his wife and children in the New Jersey suburban of Dumont. They knew him as a loving father and husband who provided for the family, but one who also had a violent temper and was physically abusive to his wife. And his family stated they were unaware of his crimes. After his converted evictions, Kuklinski gave interviews to interviews to writers, prosecutors, criminologists, and he claimed to have murdered anywhere from 100 to 250 men, often in gruesome fashion. Most of these additional murders have not been corroborated. Can't say that word. He also alleged that he worked as a hitman for the mafia. Um, like I said, he's a mafia guy. Uh, and the, he was also with the Teamsters president, Jimmy Hoffa. These claims are considered dubious by law enforcement and mob expert. He was a subject of three HBO documentaries aired in 1992, 2001, 2003. Two biographies, a 2012 feature film starring Michael Shannon and Winona Ryder herself. Uh, kind of gives you a little gist of what he's about and what happened with him. Uh, we're going to get into his early life and what happened with that, where he got fucked up at, where it all went wrong, and get into a little bit more detail that way. In Richard's early life, he was born April 11th, 1935 in Jersey City, New Jersey, the second of four children 
of Irish and Polish immigrants. His mother, Anna McNally, was a devoted Catholic, and his father, Stanley, who worked on a railroad, was a violent alcoholic who beat them regularly. Another son, Florian, reportedly died from such brutal punishments. Kuklinski said he began killing cats as a child and graduated to his first murder as a teenager. A uh, little bit of backstory on this cat ordeal. I'm not just going to run through it because it kind of gives you the first signs of this guy. is He's gone. Uh, he used to take the cats and he would tie their tails together with a rope. And he would throw them sons of guns over a power pole or a line or something and he'd watch them fight to the death. Uh, he also took cats down to his basement in the infirmary. He would throw them into it and he'd watch them run around the damn thing until they burned to death. He also uh, killed the neighborhood dogs and tortured them in regards that he wished it was his father. He said that his mother was a cancer to everything she touched and he later regretted not killing his father at an early age. Kukunski uh, said that he began, he, or Kukunski said to the prison interviewer that the experience made him feel empowered. Kuklinski, who dropped out of school in eighth grade, soon, shined, soon showed signs of hesitation for killing anyone who reminded him of his father to adversaries at the pool table and sometimes did so seemingly for no reason at all. The west side of New York City became the testing grounds for honoring his talents. Police thought that it was bums basically killing each other. Uh, like I said, man, that cat thing is just, it's off its rocker. It's, it's out there. Uh, you know, I, the first time I read that, I had to sit there and I had to kind of go over it again because tying two cats' tails together, you know, throwing, yeah, chicken, people chicken fight all the time. You throw two chickens in a damn thing or dog fight, I don't, I don't agree with it, don't think you should do it, but you know. That's one thing, but taking two cats tying them tails together at uh, such a young age that this fucker was at and throwing them over a power line to watch them kill each other. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's pretty, pretty messed up. Uh, Kuklinski also had a younger brother, Joseph, who in 1970 was convicted of raping a 12-year-old girl and murdering her by throwing her off the top of a five-story building along with her pet dog. When asked about his brother's crimes, the Iceman replied, we come from the same father. Uh, so obviously, his dad was a drunk, beat the shit out of him. His mom, you know, she was off a rocker a little bit too. She said that no other woman was good other than her. Um, the dad left for a little bit. He came back periodically, usually drunk and beat the kids. So he did not have a good childhood. Uh, not saying that that's going to steam into what he did later on, but did not start out good. So all the parents out there, if you're listening, don't fuck up. Be a parent. Take care of the kids. Don't beat them. I'm all about tearing their ass up. I'm all about discipline, manners, 100% be a parent, but don't cross that line. Uh, be there for your kids. 
you know, they say they're your future, as dumb as it sounds, it's the truth. Uh, the way that the world's going right now, it's already fucked enough, let's not make it even more. Uh, so, you know, it all, it does, a lot of the shit, like if you look at all the serial killers, a lot of it does steam back to the childhood, the upbringing, the parents, um, you know, what you instill into their head. Yes, I could probably be a better parent. I kind of go off the rails sometimes, but, you know, I have, I have a line I will not cross. Uh, so, you can get it that way. Kuklinski's first marriage was to a woman of nine years named Linda. Oh, Linda Lou, with whom had two sons, Richard Jr. and David. While Richard was working for a truck company, he met Barbara, who was a secretary at the same firm. Kuklinski and Barbara married in 1961, and they had two daughters and a son. Barbara described his behavior as altering between good Richie and bad Richie. So even right there, he had a kind of split personality, Mr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on. Um, but he said that good Richie was a hardworking provider and an effective father and a loving husband who enjoyed time with his family. Barbara remembered that when Merrick became suddenly ill soon after he was born, Richard stayed up all night to take care of her. Richard lavished his family with gifts and bought Christian Dior, whatever clothes for Barbara, and diamonds and jewelry for his daughter. He took the family out to expensive restaurants, regular vacations, including trips to Disney World. Uh, the Kuklinskis bought a new car every six months, so he obviously did not bring what his father brought. Like I said, when I when I'm going through this, I am not I am not saying, oh, this guy wasn't that bad. I don't agree with murder. Don't think it should happen. So understand that. But you know, the way he's brought up, obviously, he knew that his dad. His dad was a piece of shit. He didn't want to be that. So he did what he did. Uh like I said, I'm not fucking saying this guy's good, but the other thing about him, he never killed women or children, which, you know, you go through a lot of other serial killers that really didn't have no demeanor. Like, John Wayne Gacy was one of the most fucked serial killers you could ever sit there and read about. Uh, if you haven't done that, we might do one on him. But John Wayne Gacy was just morally fucked in the head. Uh, so, he said he never killed women and children, but he did come out later and say that he tried to kill his ex-wife several times. Did not succeed, so that way. Uh, in contrast, Bad Richie would appear at irregular intervals, sometimes one day after another, other times not appearing for months. Uh, he was prone to unpredictable fits of rage, smashing furniture and domestic violence. Well, there you go. He beat his wife, which is just as bad. Don't do that. During these periods, he was physically abusive to his wife, one time breaking her nose and giving her a black eye. Holy shit, didn't know that. And emotionally abusive towards his children. Okay, so he was a piece of shit. Uh, Merrick later called that he once killed her dog right in front of her to punish her for coming home late. So take everything I just said, uh, take it back. This guy was fucked. He is a piece of crap. So uh, screw this guy. Barbara claimed in an interview that once during an argument 
In the car, she told Richard she wanted to see other people. He responded by silently jabbing her from behind with a hunting knife so sharp she didn't even feel the blade go in. He told her that she belonged to him and that if she tried to leave, he would kill her entire family. When Barbara began screaming at him in anger, he throttled her into unconsciousness. Merrick also remembered a number of road rage incidents involving her father. So, like I said, I take everything I just said back. Um, Mr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on right here. This guy is screwed up in the head. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kuklisi family of Dumont, New Jersey neighbors were never aware of his activities and instead believed that he was a successful businessman. Barbara suspected that at least some of his income was illegal activities due to the lifestyles and large amounts of cash he often possessed. But she never expressed the words to him. She had a don't ask question philosophy and when it came time to it, it was his business life. She didn't ask about it. She didn't ask about his business partner or how he made money. If he suddenly got up and left the house in the middle of the night, she never asked where he was going. But they divorced in 1993 when Richard was in prison. Barbara said the divorce was for money reasons. She continued to visit him in prison, but only once a year. Authorities describe Kuklinski as unusual amongst both mobsters and killers. Apart from his violent temper, he had few of the vice common among criminals. He was not an abuser of alcoholics or other drugs. He was not a womanizer. He did have a serious weakness of high state gamblers and lost a great deal of money in that way. His motives were for murder and also unusual, not fitting neatly into the standard of serial killing category of lust murder, revenge murder, or angels of mercy, for example. So, yeah, pretty fucked up guy. Kuklinski claimed that his committed his first murder in 1949 at the age of 13 or 14 using a closet clothes hanging rod to bludge at the neighbor's boy who had bullied and teased him. He said immediately he ran back to his apartment and though the boy's body was discovered soon afterwards, the police never connected a murder to him. Kuklinski later told a more dramatic version of the story in which after the killing of the boy, he stole the car drove it to New Jersey, removed the teeth and fingerprints to make identification more difficult, and then dumped the body into a frozen pond. That's where Kulinski stated that his first murder victim was a man he argued with in a bar and beat him to death with a pool cue. So, kind of a little wishy-washy of what his first one was. Was it, was it when he was 14, when he killed the neighborhood bully, or was it at the bar when he Blunged a man to death with a pool cue. I don't know either way. Uh, murder's murder. In the mid 1960s, Kuklinski began working at a Manhattan firm lab. Though the lab he had access to master copies of popular films, he began to make him bootleg copies of Disney cartoons, which he could then sell on. So we have a murderer that ran bootleg Disney cartoon films. Okay. Kuklinski discovered that there was a luxury market, or lucrative market, my bad guys, for tapes and pornographic movies too. So, not only was he in the Disney cartoon films, he was also in pornographic films. So, you know, one plus one. 
Copying and distributing, distributing and pornography became a regular source of income for him. Several of his known murder victims were men he had met through trafficking, pornography, and drugs. He also headed a gang which specialized in stealing brand new Corvettes and carrying out burglaries. He was once arrested for passing a bad check, the only crime he was charged with prior to the arrest for murder. He was fingerprinted, but charges were dropped. When he agreed to pay back the money he owed, Kiklinki said that supplement of his income by working as a freelancer contract killer. Mm. Uh, Roy DeMio. I heard that name before. Where? I have no fucking idea. Kiklinki encountered Roy DeMio as an aspiring associate, a later soldier of the Gambino, Gambino family when he borrowed money from a loan shark with mob connections. When Kuklinski missed a payment, he was visited by Demio and two other men who beat and pistol whipped him. The beating left Kuklinski with a permanent scar on his forehead. According to Kuklinski, therefore, Demio regularly employed him as a debt collector, enforcer, and a hitman. Kuklinski's claim that he had been a close associate of Demio is Disputed by Jerry something, I don't know his fucking last name, who stated that Kiklinski was only seen entering Demio Lounge headquarters once to buy a handgun. Kiklinski is not mentioned is not mentioned in any of the books about Demio's crew or any of that. Uh, Kiklinski, who later claimed that he killed Demio. Was found dead in a chunk of his car January 1983. However, sources indicate that Mio was killed by members of his own crew, with no suggestion that Kuklinski was involved. So, I don't know, man. A lot of his shit right now is hit and miss. It says one thing, he comes out with another. It says one thing, come out with another. Do I believe that he killed 100 to 250 men? Listen, if he's in the mafia or the mob or any of that, yes, he definitely is capable of killing that many people. He, like I said, he got convicted of two murders, could have been more, definitely. Uh, but, like I said, we're on the verge of, this is nothing compared, this guy's nothing, and like I said, I am not praising this guy. But when it comes to him and... Uh, John Wayne Gacy two totally different worlds uh, so like I said man it's just it's here or there on how you see them so far uh, so yeah let's keep going the second person he comes into contact is Robert Prongay in an earlier 1980s, Kuklinski became acquainted with another killer named Robert Prongay. Uh, Prongay was referred to Kuklinski as Mr. Softy as he used to drive a Mr. Softy ice cream truck to appear, you know, kind of incognito to watch the van uh, potential victims. Prongay claimed to be a special force veteran and explosive expert. He knew about prisons and taught Kuklinski how to use cyanide as a murder weapon. One of his favorite methods was to put cyanide into a nasal spray bottle and squirt an 
uh, and squirted into an unsuspecting target. Kikunsky said that he carried out a number of murders together, uh, him and Prange. And it was Prange's suggestion to freeze the bodies of Luis Mazge to see if the time of death could be distinguished. So if it wasn't for Prange, Kuklinski never would have got the Iceman reputation he did of freezing his victims. The two men fell out when Prange allegedly asked Kuklinski to murder his ex-wife and son. Kuklinski refused. Kuklinski also took exception when he learned that Prange's plans was to poison the entire reservoir with uh, poison just to kill one family. During the argument that followed, Prange told Kuklinski that he knew where he lived and threatened his family on August 10, 1984. Prange was found dead in his Mr. Softy's truck with two bullet wounds in his chest. At the same time of death, Prange was due to appear in court on aggravated assault charges against his ex-wife and son. Investigators later stated that they regarded Kukunsi as a prime suspect for Prange's murders but decided not to file charges as by then he had already been convicted of the other murders. So, uh, the Prange whole thing, you just heard, uh, like I said earlier, Kuglinski never said that he murdered women or children, so when Prange came to him and said he wanted him to murder them, told him no, and Prange wanted to fucking poison a whole old reservoir just to kill one family member, so um, that's how they had it out, and I guess that the Iceman killed him. So on April 1st, 1980, Kuglinski was a business associate named George Maliban were driving to New Jersey and after an argument during which Maliban had threatened Kuglinski's family, Kuglinski suddenly brought the van to a stop without warning pulled out a 38 revolver from his pocket, shot Maliban in the chest five times killing him. Kuglinski later said that killing Mag Mad Maliban Jesus, was due to business. Maliban reported Reportedly carrying $27,000 at the time, Maliban body was found a few days later near the chemical plant in Jersey City. It had been stuffed into a 55-gallon drum and rolled to the bottom of a, a palisade. Kuglinski had cut the tendons on Maliban's leg in order to force him into the barrel. This was the first murder victim to be directly linked to Kukunsi as Maliban's brother told police that he had been on his way to meet Kukunsi that day he disappeared. And the murder of Paul Hoffman. Um, Kukunsi met Paul Hoffman, a 51-year-old pharmacist who occasionally frequented the store in Patterson, New Jersey, a storefront with a large back room where a wide variety of stolen items could be bought and sold. Hoffman hoped to make a big profit by purchasing at low cost large quantities of stolen goods. A proper drug use to treat uh, his ulcers, which he could then resell through his pharmacy. He believed that Kukunsi could support the drug rage himself to make a deal. On the afternoon of April 29, 1982, Hoffman and Kukunsi met at a warehouse Leased by Kukunsi, Hoffman brought $25,000 in cash and with him purchased the tagment. After Hoffman gave the money to Kukunsi, he told him that the deal was 
off. He goes to pace the barrel, placed the barrel of his pistol under Hoffman's chin, pulled the trigger. The shot only wounded Hoffman, so Kiklinski tried to shoot him again, only for the gun to jam. Kiklinski then reported killing Hoffman by beating him to death with a tire iron. Kiklinski placed Hoffman's corpse inside a 55-gallon drum, filled the drum with instant cement, and left it on a sidewalk outside a hotel behind Harris Corner. Kiklinski monitored the drum sometime and sitting in Harris Corner every day to listen for talk amongst the patrons that would indicate the body discovery. After Kiklinski related as a long time, he noticed that one day that the drum was no longer there but could not discern any details about his fate. Hoffman's body was never recovered. The murder of Gary Smith. Kiklinski burglary gang was coming under more scrutiny from law enforcement in December 1982. Percy House, a member of the gang, was arrested. House would later agree to testify against Kiklinski and place it in protected in place in protected custody. Warrants were also issued for the arrest of the two member gangs, Gary Smith and Daniel Deppner. Deppner. Kiklinski urged them to lie low and rent a room in New York. And uh, Kiklinski was angered when he learned that Smith had left the hotel to visit his daughter and also feared that Smith, who had recently spoken off giving up crime, has gone straight, might become an uh, informant against him. Kiklinski, Deppner, and House, who was still in jail at the time, decided that Smith had to be killed. Kiklinski and Deppner therefore fed Smith a hamburger laced with cyanide. When Smith took longer to die from cyanide than Kuklinski's spit, he grew impatient and ordered Deppner to strangle Smith with a lamp cord. According to forensics, Smith's death would probably have been attributed to something non-homicidal in nature like drug overdose, for instance. Had Kuklinski relied solely on the cyanide. However, the ligature mark around Smith's neck proved to investigators that he had been murdered. So, what he's saying is, because I know I fucked all that up, what he's saying is that if they would not have strangled him, they would have just chalked it up to being an overdose. And when they found the marks on his neck, they put two and two together. Uh, when Deppner's ex-wife Barbara failed to return with the car to remove the body, they placed it between the mattress and the box spring. Over the next four days, a number of patrons rented the room, although thought the smell was the room was odd. Most of them did not think to look under the bed, so he hid it under the bed while people sat there. Jesus. Minetti. Uh, so, Daniel and Deppner helped, and then turned around and... The Daniel Deppner murder. After Smith's murder, Kiklinski moved to Deppner, moved Deppner to his apartment in New Jersey, belonging to Rich Patterson, then fiance of Kiklinski's daughter, Merritt. Patterson was away at the time, but Kiklinski had access to the apartment. At some point between February and May in 1983, Deppner was killed by Kiklinski. Investigators later uh, said that he was murdered in Patterson's apartment after finding a bloodstain on the carpet. Uh, Kiklinski enlisted Patterson help to dispose of Detmer's body, telling Patterson that he, the victim was a friend who had been in trouble with the law and that someone must have broken in and killed him over the weekend. He added that 
it was best to dump the body to avoid trouble with the police. Afterwards, Kuklinski urged Patterson to just forget about the incident. Kuklinski made another mistake when he told an associate that he had killed Detner. Mm. Detner's body was found May 14, 1983, when a cyclist was riding down Clinton Road in a wooded area in West Milford, New Jersey, spotted the corpse being preyed on by a turkey vulture. Kuklinski had wrapped the body inside a green garbage bag before dumping the body. Medical examiners listed Debner's cause of death as undetermined, although they noted pinkish spots on the skin, a possible sign of cyanide poisoning. So, you know, after all this, I'm pretty sure it was fucking cyanide. Um, as he had no defense wounds, as a healthy adult, men rarely killed by strangulation. The medical examiner found Debner's stomach was full of undigested food, meaning he had died shortly after a meal. The beans that Debner had eaten were burned, so they reasoned that it must have been a home-cooked meal as a restaurant would probably not get away with serving burned food to customers. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, Luis Mazgay discovered. Hmm. On September 25th, 1983, the body of Luis Mazgay was found near a town in New York with a bullet hole in the back of his head. Mazgay had disappeared over two years earlier on July 1st, 1981, the day he was due to meet Kuklinski to purchase a large quantity of blank VCR tapes for $100,000, huh? Blank VCR tapes for $100,000. Kuklinski attempted to disguise Mazgay's time to guess by storing his corpse in an industrial freezer for the next two years. He later said that on the advice of Robert Prange. Prange may have also have supplied the freezer Kuklinski used to store his Mazgay body. However, uh, Kuklinski did not allow the body to thaw completely before he dumped it and also wrapped it in a plastic garbage bag which kept it insulated and partially frozen. Uh, the Rockland County Medical Examiner found ice crystals inside the body on a warm September day. Had the body been thought complete before discovery, the medical examiner stated that he would probably would have never noticed Kuklinski's trickery. Detectives also re released that Masgate was wearing the same clothes his wife and son had said he was wearing the day he disappeared. The discovery that Kuklinski had frozen Masgate's body is what led authorities to the nickname of the Ice Man. You say this guy. He has some tricks up his sleeves. All right. Uh, the state and federal manhunt. Kuklinski first came to the attention of Pat Kane, a detective in New Jersey State Police. When he helped from an informant, Kane connected him to the gang who were carrying out the burglaries in northern Jersey and began building a file on him. Eventually, five unsolved homicides, namely the deaths of Hoffman, Smith, Deppner, Masgay, Maliban, were linked to Kuklinski because he had been the last known person to see each of them alive. Uh, the task force nicknamed the Operation Iceman, based on his case, almost entirely off the testimony of the undercover agent ATF, special agent, and evidence built by Kane. Starting in 1985, Kane worked with Phil a close longtime friend of Kuklinski's to get a close uh, profile posing as a mafia 
connected criminal named Dominique. Uh, he initially purchased a silenced handgun from Kuklinski. He asked if he could supply him with pure cyanide. Uh, he told him Kuklinski he wanted to hire him to carry out a hit against a wealthy Jewish associate in a cocaine deal robbery and recorded Kuklinski speaking in detail on how he would do it. Kuklinski was also recorded boasting that he had once killed a man by putting cyanide in his hamburger and of his plans to kill a couple of rats. Uh, Kuklinski claimed in an HBO interview that he was the only friend he did not kill. On December 17, 1986, it arranged for Kuklinski to meet with uh, Polifrone, the detective I was just talking about, to get the cyanide for the planned murder, which was to be an attempt on police detectives working undercover. After being recorded by this dude's last name's hard. I'm just going to call him Paul. After being recorded by Paul, Kuklinski went for a walk by himself. He, t he tested Paul cyanide on a stray dog using the hamburger's bait. He saw it was not poisonous. Suspicious, Kuklinski decided not to go through with it and uh, not to go through with the planned murder and went home instead. He was arrested at a roadblock two hours later. A gun was found in the car and his wife was charged with trying to prevent his arrest. She also was charged with possession of an illegal firearm and she, as she had been in the car where it was found. Prosecutors charged uh, Kuklinski with five murder counts and six weapon violations as well as attempted murder, robbery, uh, and attempted robbery. Officials said Kuklinski had large sums of money in a Swiss bank account and reservations on a flight to that country. Sorry, I had to get a sip of drink right there. Kuklinski was held on a $2 million bail bond and was made to surrender his passport. At his trial, a number of Kuklinski's former associates gave evidence against him, as did Rich Patterson and Paul. They recorded conversations with Paul, where the most damaged evidence, uh, Kuklinski's defense argued that his omissions were on tape were merely him blowing smoke. In an attempt to impress someone he believed to be a major criminal. In March 1988, the jury found Kuklinski guilty of murdering Smith and Deppner, but found that the deaths were not proven to be by Kuklinski's own conduct, meaning he would not face the death penalty. To avoid a second trial of the murders of Maliban and Masquet, Kuklinski agreed to plead guilty to both. The state deemed that there were insufficient God, that's a hard word too. Evidence could convict Kuklinski for Hoffman's murder as his body had not been recovered. Uh, Kuklinski received 26 year sentences. Or no, 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 I'm taking it back. Two 60 year sentences. One for killing Smith and Detmer and the other Maliban and Masgay, which would run uh, concurrently. He was to be. Uh, available for parole until he was 111 years old or the year 2046. He was incarcerated at Trenton State uh, Prison. Uh, statements made during the interviews during the, his incarceration, Kalisi guaranteed or granted interviewers 
I'm Dulexis. I'm sorry, guys. Interviews to prospects, uh, criminologists, and writers. Several television producers also spoke to Quincy about his criminal career, upbringing, his personal life. These talks uh, accumulated to three televised documentaries known as, here we go, guys, The Iceman Tapes, which were aired on HBO in 1992 and 2001 and 2003. Uh, and according to Mary Quincy, his daughter, it was her mother who convicted Richard to do the interviews as she was paid handsomely for them. In the last installment, The Iceman, uh, Quincy interviewed by a forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Park. Um, he wrote biographies on Quincy. He turned down interviews by Oprah Winfrey and Geraldo Riviera. Um, so if you want to go check out some of the other shit, he did. It's on there. So, in 2001, HBO interview Kukunsky confessed to killing Peter uh, Calabro, the NYPD detective who had been ambushed and shot dead by unknowing gunmen on March 14th, uh, 1980. Uh, Calabro was rumored to have mob connections and had been investigated for selling confidential information to the Gambio family. His wife, Carmela, had drowned in mysterious circumstances three years earlier, and members of her family believed that uh, Calabro himself was responsible for her death at the time of his murder. was thought by law enforcement to have been a revenge killing, either carried out or arranged by his deceased wife's relatives. Her brothers were regarded as key suspects, but the crimes remained unsolved. And February 2003, Quincy formally charged with uh, Calabro's murder and received another sentence of 30 years. This was not considered moot, as he was already server, serving multiple life sentences and ineligible for parole until he was over the age of 100. Describing the murder of Quincy, said that he parked his van on the side of the Venero Road, forcing other drivers to slow down as he passed. He lay in a snowbank behind his van until Calabro came at 2 a.m., then stepped out and shot him in the head with a sawed-off shotgun, decapitating Calabro. Uh, he stated that he was unaware of Calabro, who was a police officer at the time, but said he would probably would have murdered him anyway. Uh, claimed to have been paid to kill Calabro by the Gambio family soldier, Sammy the Bull, uh, and that the bull had provided him with a murder weapon. Uh, the bull was then serving a 20-year sentence in Arizona for drug trafficking, was also indicted for murder, and Kavinsky was set to testify against him. Uh, the bull denied the involvement of Carabo's death and rejected a plea deal under which he would receive no additional jail time if, if he confessed to the crime as uh, implicated of his accomplice. Uh, the bull reportedly told the detectives that he wanted to kill Clarabo. He would have whacked him himself. Uh, Grunau, uh, whatever his name is, lawyer claimed that Kalinsky had tried to use an allegation to extort $200,000 from uh, the bull, which was later confirmed by FBI. The charges against the bull were dropped after Kalinsky's death in 2006. So, I mean, like I said, he's just, one of the statements he had after killing one, he said, 
he, re, he regretted coming and saying, it was a man and he was begging and pleading and praying, I guess. And he was pleased God and all over the place. So I, this is what the Iceman said about he regretted killing one of the people. So I told him he could have an hour and a half to pray to God. And if God could come down and change the circumstances, he'd have that time. But God never showed up. He never changed the circumstances. And that was that. It wasn't too nice. That was one thing I should have, shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have done it that way. So, uh, he goes on about a lot of stuff. Uh, like I said, man, this guy. There's a lot. He's all over the place. Um, he claims they've dumped bodies in caves. Uh, he fed victims to flesh-eating rats in caves. He's also been questioned in 2013. Noted that the caves had had a lot of visitors since Gulenski's time, and no human remains was found. Uh, in 2005, October 2005, nearly 18 years in prison, Gulenski was diagnosed with. Uh, Inflammation of blood vessels is some kind of disease. Uh, he was transferred to a secured wing at San Francisco Medical Center in Trent, New Jersey, although he had asked doctors to make sure that to revive him if he developed uh, a heart attack. His then former wife, Barbara, signed a do not resuscitate order a week before his death, the hospital called Barbara and asked if he wished to resign the instruction, but she declined. Kuglinski died at the age of 70 on March 5, 2006. At the request of the Kuglinski family noted that forensic uh, Michael Baden reviewed the autopsy report. Baden confirmed that Kuglinski died of a cardiac arrest and had been suffering with a heart disease. Uh, so that's basically the gist of Richard the Iceman Kuglinski. He started off, you know, he started off at a bad time. His uh, parents, obviously, both immigrants. Uh, dad's an alcoholic. His mom's off a rocker. He didn't have a start with strong upbringing, and he just never fully recovered from that. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. Like I said, there's go on YouTube. You can look him up. There's stuff all about him. Uh, you could go on watching documents that they had on HBO of him. And like I said, he, he was all over the place. Um, a lot of his stuff is wishy-washy though, because you notice that he jumps back and forth. I did this, no, I did this. I did this, I did this. Each his own, he is still a very interesting guy. If you go watch documentaries on him and stuff, they could do it a, a lot more justice than me. Um, I did what I can, but uh, he's there for the take. Um, we're going to do a couple more like this, maybe John Wayne Gacy. He's kind of hard to touch. Like, he's he's a, he's a fuck guy. Um, might touch John Wayne Gacy or some other people. If y'all got anybody, let me know. But that being said, this is Cut the Bullshit. We cut it on. Richard the Iceman Kuklinski, thank you for listening. Thanks for following. If there's anything else you want me to talk about, let me know. Uh, like I said, my next one, I think I'm going to be talking fantasy football. So if you like fantasy football, come back. 
We're gonna tell you the do's, the don'ts, the why, the wants, and everything in between. I got my team. I think I like it. I made a good trade already. Uh, so yeah, I'm probably gonna bring on Clayton Griffiths for that, and we'll get it done that way. Thank you for listening, and this is cutting the bullshit. Thank you.